So I'm scrolling here on Twitter, completely not related, but I guess New York Times wrote an article about how women poop at work and how everyone needs to get over it. <laughs> we don't need articles about everything. Literally, I just scrolled past it and I don't. Wow, guys, did you know that women have bodily functions? <laughs> Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast. <laughs> I am Brian. I'm Lizzie. <laughs> uh, we're coming at you a little bit late this week because we all had the riot fest death and we needed a day to recover. And now we're here to tell you our recap of the weekend. Since we gave you a preview of the weekend, we felt it was only right to give you a recap. Our podcast is now a riot fest advertising campaign. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, Lizzie, let's uh, yes. let's go down the weekend, and why don't you say what your favorite band was of each day? Of each day, God damn it! Who played on Friday? <laughs> That's <laughs> a long day. Oh God, definitely not Blink One Eighty Two. I was I was so disappointed in Blink One Eighty Two set, mainly because I couldn't hear anything mm -hmm. um, because I was so far back, mm -hmm. but. So that was disappointing. I think my favorite set of that day that I was like the most like super hyped for was probably Hot Mulligan though. They played mm -hmm. over at the Rebel stage and I feel like their crowd was just not big enough because I just <laughs> really think that they're like kind of like coming up with like being the new forefront of the new wave of emo that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And they are just so good and their stage presence and performance and crowd are always just so crazy and wild and always so much fun uh so friday hot volume was definitely it for me i think on um saturday i was definitely um more into rise against saturday is kind of like a lackluster day for me personally sorry slayer fans <laughs> oh no but, you're uh, you're right with that <laughs> like i i waited for like, i think an hour and i got into like i was in this I don't even know what happened. It was like, here's one mosh pit over here for Rise Against. And then here's another one. Then there's like this little section in the middle of like one line of people, not in the mosh pit. And then all of a sudden it would just like open up to the entire thing. And it happened <laughs> multiple times. I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> it was truly, it was truly wild. And it was really close to when I saw the misfit that riot fest a few years ago where I was literally pushed back and forth into two different like ongoing pits, like counterclockwise and clockwise. It just depended on which way I wanted to run. I just jump, you know, back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> so it was truly wild. Um, Sunday, I definitely was the biggest hype for uh, the starting line in Bikini Kill. Yeah. I've never seen the starting line ever. And they're one of my um, favorite bands. So I was having a lot of emotions and moments. <laughs> and he killed too. I obviously never seen them. They broke up like I think a few months after I was born. So <laughs> it's not yeah. <laughs> 
So um, it was completely revolutionary to see Miss Kathleen Hanna there on stage. And actually, my friend and I, we waited about 45 minutes because we went straight from the starting line over to the riot stage to wait for Bikini Kill. And we tried to get as close as we could. But for anybody who knows Bikini Kill and Riot Girl history, the whole thing is like girls to the front. So you, because, you know, you want to generate a space where women can actually like get in the pit and be safe and be cool and everything like that and not worry about getting injured by some like 200 and something like six foot tall punk dude, like in the damn things pit, <laughs> where I was like, I cannot get in here. I'm going to like lose teeth. Like these men are huge. I'm going to get very dangerously injured. <laughs> and my friend jumped in that pit and within 10 seconds, she was in a six person pile up. Oh my God. On the ground. They got her up, but truly, but, um, I was talking to my friend about it and this old, this older dude, he'd be like maybe 50, 60. He was like, you should have gotten here earlier. I'm like, excuse you. Oh. I was like, do you know where you are, sir? <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I know how this works. I'm like, I went to the Misfits and I wait two and a half hours. So I don't think you really need to tell me what to do. And he was just like, I'm like, do you know where you are? Do you know who you are about to watch up there? <laughs> Do you understand this whole thing about Riot Girl and like revolution girl style now? This whole entire ethos of feminism and punk rock and yeah. it truly kind of bored me. Why would you even go to watch Bikini Kill if you were just going to tell a girl what to do? Literally, and I couldn't tell you how many just dudes were in front of us the entire time and like we were able to push all the way up. We were like fourth row. Mm. which was mind blowing to me. And we were just in pits and just, it's all so muddy. It was so muddy, but it was probably like one of the best times of my life. I was just so like <laughs> in awe. I don't know, just because when I, when I was in high school, I would do this really nerdy thing where I thought that I needed to research to fully understand the music I was listening to. Mm -hmm. So I rented out a bunch of like, punk like books about like punk anthology and ethos and all this other stuff and i found this book called girls to the front by sarah marcus and it went through the yeah. whole entire history of feminism and the problems within the punk rock community with women and why it's important to like have feminism and you know how right girls started and like babes and toilet and all these other influential um chick bands and it just was like oh my god like this is like the band that opened up like a whole entire new mindset and world for me at like 15 years old. Yeah. And it was just such an insane moment to just look up and be like, Oh my God, it was truly like a revelation of an, ex of an experience. So <clears throat> I think that that was definitely my big thing of the weekend, you know? And then my friend, cause I lost her. She, we found each other somehow. It was like that Spider-Man meme. I'm like, Oh my God, it's you. It's you. Um, <laughs> Her as, the, as I was like being muddy in a pit and she was like oh yeah this this bush woman was in front of me and when she, Kathleen Hanna says like you know girls to the front or she basically said um she had to rephrase it because she was like oh no there's gonna be a, an actual riot of people and this people are gonna get hurt if people start pushing to the front it, and she said if you are a cis white male dude realize how much space you're taking up and let other people who aren't you basically <laughs> come in and this dude was like in the pit and he wouldn't leave. And my friend said this, which woman just grabbed him and yanked him out and like yeeted him behind a bunch of people. Yes. 
I was like, oh my god, I love that. Hell yeah. (laughs) I was like, this is the content I'm here for. (laughs) And that was, those are probably the best things of the weekend. (laughs) And just to add on, over the weekend, once I got back to our Airbnb and I had cell reception, I was going to my Facebook timeline and I saw six different weddings from Facebook mutual friends (laughs) the weekend. And I was like, wow. And here I am covered in mud and dirt (laughs) getting yeeted across crowds of people (laughs) and thrashing my entire being into other people. And y'all are getting married. Yep. True contrast. Yep. Picked a bad weekend to get married. I think I almost got invited to one of them and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, right? This is like, <laughs> yeah. I have had to tell friends that were getting married on that weekend, like, that is a very bad weekend for me for you to get married. So here's the thing. I'm just not gonna be there. I'm just I'm not gonna be there. And I'm really excited for you, kind of, but I'm more excited for me. <laughs> That's what self-care is about. Self-care. You get married. I'll go to see bands I like. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Who are your uh, top picks? Uh, So Friday, I, I don't know. I wasn't really like stoked on a lot of the bands that I was watching. Um, I liked Census Fails uh, album play of Let It Enfold You that day. They sounded really good. I've seen Census Fail a bunch of times and have been very disappointed with how they sound. Um, but last year's Warp Tour, I watched them and they sounded very good. Like uh, It feels like they've had some amount of like a, a refresh of like energy and sound like uh, I think it was when Buddy started wearing better shirts. Uh, okay. He just seems to be wearing much cooler shirts now, and I, I can appreciate that. Sometimes uh, it's just confidence that you're wearing like yeah. the best possible, like yeah. with the cool signs. Uh, I I I just I want to connect the two thoughts together, so I'm gonna believe that that's what changed it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Census Fails set was very good, but I was most impressed by Glassjaw. Uh, They had, like, such good musicianship on stage. And, like, they have, like, weird... I don't want to say it's, like, arrhythmic. I don't want to say it's, like, super weird musically. But, like, there's just a lot of, like, weird rhythms. And, you know, just, like, we're we're just going to fuck around and have a good time because we're really talented. I think two of the guys in the band were two new musicians. Like they, they replaced the drummer and the bassist, I think. So it was just the guitarist and Daryl Palumbo, the singer were the same. Uh, They sounded so good. They were just like, they were just all over the stage, having a good time playing like every beat, every note, like so perfectly. I was, I was literally like in awe, just standing there, like so impressed by it. Um, myself a little bit for not going to see them i found a riot that's playlist on spotify mm-hmm. and it turned on in my car and i didn't realize who it was and then i sat through the song and i'm like who let me sleep on glass shop for basically yeah. a decade whose fault is this i wasn't you know super in the glass jaw even like when they were around and then i got into them yeah late as well uh, i saw them yeah. i think it was 20 it must have been 2012 when they played at Riot Fest another time. I don't know if they played since then, but 
Um, I think that was, this was like part of a comeback from what I could tell from my like Twitter dash. Yeah. We're kind of like inactive and then we're like in and out. Yeah. Just kind of do what they want, (laughs) which you get to do when you've been around for, you know, however long. I would like Uh, to see Finch come back. Uh, yeah. I saw that reunion tour, uh, whenever that was a long time ago. Same with, uh, same with, listen, it was a long time ago. Uh, and I saw the starting lines uh, reunion tour whenever that was like, fucking seven years ago or something like that yep. he, they sounded I a lot better this weekend too than they did then i couldn't get anyone to go with me to that tour and i was so devastated and none oh my of my God. friends had ever heard of the starting line and they're like how'd you hear from them and i'm like i just found them on youtube and i loved them forever now. oh my god <laughs> i found the starting line on youtube Gross. I saw bedroom talk and they didn't play bedroom talk at their they set. Didn't. I was didn't. really upset, but I also had, was so excited to finally see one of my favorite bands. I literally felt like I was like 14 years old again. And I was like seeing whatever band I wanted to see for the first time. And I was just like a giddy little, like 16 year old girl. <laughs> and there's these really nice people in the crowd. And I was like, oh my God, I've never seen them before. And I was just like jumping up and down, like so excited. They were like, yep. I'm so happy for you. I'm like, God, you were all so nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Saturday, I mean, I, we had kind of talked about it on our preview uh, podcast, but The Who was absolutely incredible. Like playing all these different instruments on stage like the energy they put out, like the crowd was so into it. I, I there was like definitely a moment where you could kind of tell from the band that like, I, I don't know, I, I'd have to look this up and, and double check on it. But for a band who has been around for a very short period of time from Mongolia, doesn't speak English to they, I know they've done some tours of Europe, uh, but I don't know if they've done much over in the U.S., for this to be like one of their first shows and and probably their first festival show in the U S at all. Like there was such a reception to them in the crowd. People were getting so excited about it. People were having a good time. There were like so many people that just like walked up to the stage, like to check it out. And I mean, there weren't a lot of, there was like nobody on at the same time as them. Like there was like, uh, I guess we'll go watch this band. And people were just like, this is the best. And you could tell like the, who was just like, we are like so happy to be here. We're just so happy to be doing this. So I was like, not only am I being like, do I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being taught to like, you know, protect my countryside and to, to, to ride a horse through the, through the windows landscape, windows, background landscape. Um, but I'm like, I feel like it's just so heartwarming to like watch this band, like come and play like one of their first shows and have a couple few thousand people watching them. That was just really cool. Um, so probably that was my, you know, that was like the start of Saturday, but that was probably my favorite set of Saturday. Um, I watched cursive for a bit, uh, just because I wanted to see if they would go aggressive, uh, right off the top. And they did. And honestly, uh, it wasn't as good as I was hoping it would be. Uh, yeah, I wasn't really enjoying cursive. Uh, they, they, I guess put out a new song right before, uh, there's right, right before they played Riot Fest. So I have a feeling they're going to be coming back doing more. So I was like, all right, then screw this. I'm going to go watch the damn things. 
And I will give uh, this bit of feedback about the damned things. Joe Troman looks like he's actually having fun in the damned things. And he looks <laughs> bored as fuck when he plays a fallout boy. Like he looks like he does not give a shit about fallout boy anymore, but he was like shredding and he was moving and he was looking happy. And he was just like, you could tell that he has a different feeling entirely about the damned things than, than fallout boy. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I mean, you could probably say the same. I feel like Andy Hurley's pretty at peace whenever he's playing his drum set though. Yeah. I, just has that I look. get it. Especially with like, the last couple of albums from fallout boy it's very different it's not as heavy as obviously their stuff used to be but yeah. so i can definitely understand that and not not as guitar driven for him to play cool stuff i just dropped a bunch of pens in my room um wow. whatever uh so yeah i i think he was having more fun the band sounded great uh dan andriano is fantastic in that band and just like to see him in a metal band was really cool. He was like, he would look like he was having a blast too. Uh, grandson was very, very good. <laughs> grandson is awesome. So I, I was like, all right, I want to listen to a few more grandson songs before I watch his set. And oh my God, he's so good. Like there's so much energy. It's so like aggressive. Like it's like kind of hip hop, kind of electronic, but then has like a punk vibe to it. And the crowd is like very aggressive with each other. <laughs> You're like, why am I listening to like hip hop, but everybody wants to mosh. And I was like, that's, that's so sick. It's so good. Um, the struts too are a They're lot fun. of fun. It's very, it's, it's all crowd participation. Yeah. There's so many times where he's just like getting the crowd to sing and it's awesome. Like he, he is one, I think he was probably my favorite front man of the weekend. The way that he was just like getting the crowd into it. He was like, his, his voice is phenomenally good. I was very yeah, no, jealous. He, he is such a good, fun front man. And yeah. I actually, I had some people cause I saw him done at shaky knees uh, this past year. And I'm in this shaky knees, like Facebook group. And people are like, I just don't think the struts are actually that good because it's all audience participation. I'm like, don't you want that? Why are you going to a live show if you don't want audience participation? Literally, like Isn't I'm like I'm having a really <laughs> I'm having a real big disconnect here with your uh, awful critique. I guess if you're like I want to go watch a band just play their songs, sure, but if I'm going to a concert, if I'm going to a festival especially, like I want to watch a band entertain me. You know, and they also like at a festival, you're and I kind of realized this as I was walking by a bunch of stages is that your your job is not necessarily to entertain for your crowd because you are competing with other bands playing at the same time. Fans that might be there for another band that are walking by your stage. They played the stage, too. That was like the only you would you would walk by that stage going to get food. And they played yeah. around like six o'clock. So assuming that a lot of people were probably hungry around then going to get food, you're playing in front of an audience that's just straight up walking by your stage. And if you can pull those people in, in that moment and just, just grab their attention, get them involved with what you're doing. They're going to come back to another show where they're only coming for you. I know for sure that when the struts come back to town and they're playing a concert, I'm going to go see that show even though it's like not a festival show, even though it's just them playing. And if it's all audience participation, fine. I'm going to have a fucking blast. 
Yeah, 100%. My friend ended up uh, waiting like an hour and she was like fourth row for them. Hell yeah. And she was like right here. Like she was big old hype for them. And I mean, they're, <laughs> big old hype. they're just really good. They're just really good. So if yeah. anybody hates all the stress, I need you to get out. Nah, you're wrong. Um, I watched a bit of Manchester Orchestra. They played Shake It Out as like their second song. So after that, I was like, all right, I want to go see Bitter Rise Again because I know like all of their songs because they're all on the radio and uh, Q101 plays them all the time because they're poppy hits and Rise Against is a really good band. So I went yeah. to go watch them and had a great time. And I pointed out to uh, my girlfriend that the uh, <laughs> there is a certain point where Rise Against and it's right after Siren Song of the Counterculture when all of the songs that they wrote, all the big songs that they play all have a tempo change for the chorus. And once you know that and you're aware that like that's the rise against songwriting style, you will never be able to unhear it again. You will go into it and you'll hear the verse and you'll be like, oh, one tempo. And then it'll go to the chorus and you'll be like, what? The, the, the every song is a tempo change. Every single song. You'll never unhear it now. So I'm ruining that for all of our podcast guests. I'm not like not a bad thing. It works for them. They have a lot of good songs. That doesn't mean that they don't have a tempo change in like every song that came after Siren Song of the Counterculture. But you hear all the old ones. You hear like uh, uh, Give It All and uh, Swing Life Away, which uh, Swing Life Away, like acoustic. Uh, you don't cry during Swing Life Away. Are you even human? When... Tim McIlrath says, I wrote this song in Albany Park, not far from here. And it's from a, it's from an album that is 15 years old. And it's just him on the main stage with an acoustic guitar in front of this gigantic audience. It's like, that is so fucking cool. <laughs> it's just Truly like, is. it's like those moments. I, I, I was also realizing it was very similar to when uh, Nine Inch Nails played a couple years ago. And they played hurt and the entire audience was completely silent. And I was like, these are like the moments when you realize like the power of music and like everybody coming together to like watch the same thing and experience the same thing. That's when you can really see and like experience it as a, as a group. And it, that was, that was probably one of my coolest moments. Uh, and then I just, and then they went into, uh, uh, one of the other songs is like, all right, and one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's every time. Oh my God. Uh, and and to run out Saturday, Black Party was really good too. Uh, Despite all of the reviews of Black Party sleeping through their own set, they there was a lot of that. Their drummer was doing a lot of work. I will say she's awesome. Um, but there was there were a, a yeah, it was a good performance. They didn't play their they played their album, but they didn't play it in order, which I kind of oh. liked. So they played the album, but they were just like sort of sorting the songs around um, like they played the bigger songs, which are a little bit earlier in the record. They played those near the end and then they closed with the opening song on the record. And I uh, I thought that was like a it's a different way of doing it, but I thought it was a cool way of doing it. Just like, I'm you know. If they know that their bigger songs are, which are probably like their singles, let's be honest, if they're going to open up with them, then you're going to lose half your audience after they're over. So exactly. Uh, yeah. And I'll get into that when we get into taking back Sunday in a second, but uh, Sunday, 
I, oh my God. So I went like all day on Saturday. So I was fucking tired on Sunday. <laughs> so I got there, like I was in a rush to get there for village people and kind of got there right in the middle. Uh, they were great. <laughs> like they were great. I, we, me and my friend, she got in the conga line. I got shoved into the middle of death. It was a grand old time. They like it's such a meme. We were even like making jokes about it. Like it's a meme. The the fact that the village people were playing is a meme. But and, and you know, I was kind of like in a rush, and I'm like, am I really rushing to go be a part of a fucking meme? Like, is that what I'm doing with my life right now? Yes. And you, you get there. My 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 buddy texted me when they were on. He's like, oh my god, the village people are so good, and so. Yeah, I did. I rushed and I got there and they were and I saw them play uh, in the Navy and go west and uh, YMCA and to see that the audience was huge. There was so yeah, many people well, watching the fucking village people. I felt bad for any other bands that were playing at the they same time. Less least than least Jake. They were up against less than Jake, which wow. is a huge band. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they. Clearly, they were they were pulling a lot of people. This wildlife was also on at the same time. I don't know who the beaches or ride are, but they I'm sorry that you were on the main stage during the village you know, people. One of, one of my work friends, he's like, I'm at ride right now. I'm like, I just think you're making a big mistake. You're just missing out. You are. When are you going to go see the village people again? If the village people are coming to town, they're like, oh, we're playing this theater. You're going to be like, I'll skip that. If ride is coming and you really like ride, you're going to go see that band. You know, it's like whatever. Yeah, it's like it's stupid. Like count it, count your blessings, and count you know your sacrifices. Here's the thing: you have to remember, you could tell people that this weekend you are in a wall of death to the YMCA. Yep, and we're getting married <laughs> like all these other people were, and you, you're living your best life. You could say I was at a punk rock festival. I was around a bunch of people wearing weird outfits and makeup and and, and black and t-shirts camera and and you <laughs> went to see the village people a disco band from the 70s that sounded real good really good and you were like there with the ymca a song we all know from fucking kindergarten or elementary school we're can all we talk, can we just talk about how nobody knew the full ymca dance and i was no, really yeah. by it. No one's doing the uh for our listeners the like point across and and oh, switch. You do like a mini like Macarena thing at the end, and then you put your hands on your head, and you yeah. kind of like thrust. Yeah, no and, one was doing I, that. Not even I, the fucking I, band, though. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't see. I was too short. Yeah, the band was not doing it either. That was like the audience thing to do. But then when you see everybody's hands go up to do the YMCA, you're like, oh my god, we all went to elementary school together. Love <laughs> but it. not really. But not yeah. really, God. Not really, but kind of. I was. It was awesome. It was so funny to me. I just like during the song couldn't stop laughing because I'm just watching all of these adult motherfuckers put their hands up to sing the YMCA <laughs> in the middle of a Sunday at a punk rock festival. And it's so weird. It's so like, did you see the conga line? Yeah, I saw. I mean, I could. I mean, I was like in the back, but like I could see like all the dumb shit happening in front of me. I missed the. Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't see the wall of death from where I was, but saw oh, everything else. Truly wild. My friend, as soon as they started Macho Man, she like made a beeline like right into the. Like, <laughs> she's like, I gotta get in there. I was like, uh, what is 
going on? <laughs> oh God, it was so good. Um, after that, oh, go baby at the YMCA, not in the wall of death, obviously. <laughs> He's like not even a year old, wearing a buzzcock shirt, had the big <laughs> headphones on, obviously, because of yeah. the baby years, and it had a rainbow marijuana leaf on it. Oh my god. I'm like, that is the coolest baby. A baby is here. so high that right now. Cooler than all of us. Yep. That baby is so high right now. <laughs> um after that, we met up over by Sincere Engineer, who this is my first time being able to see that band. Uh, she's so good. She's so yeah. fucking good. Oh god, Chicago favorites. Yeah, is she from Chicago or is she just okay? Good. Local, yeah, the Chicago band. I've personally just never been able to go see them. They actually just opened um for one of the four nights up for the whole study at Thalia. Mm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so. If you're from Chicago, if you like good music, definitely support Sincere Engineer because they'll be she'll be real big in a in a while in a in, in a if short you, while. If you still like the like the pop punk and yelling and everything, you know that's that's the that's the vibe and the emo ness of it too. I mean, if you want to talk about corn dogs and how eating it makes you know makes you feel alone at home on your <laughs> that couch. song is so good. That's a really good song. Open with it. I met yeah. a foot. I ran into one of my friends there. He's like, "We're about to buy corn dogs just for this," and I'm like, "That yeah. is truly wild." <laughs> <laughs> Such a good song. Um, I watched a little bit of Against Me, but kind of kind of chilled out a little bit during that. Just wandered around. Uh, the B fifty two sounded very, very good. Like, I don't know. That was just like so impressed that this band is like on their final tour. Uh, you know, the B fifty twos and Slayer. I'm like, B fifty two sounds so much better than Slayer. <laughs> like, I mean, you can't compare. Like, the music is different. There's a right. lot more instruments in the B fifty twos. Yeah, it's just that like the B fifty twos were awesome. <laughs> I'm like fuck Slayer, dude. Like B fifty twos, like stay together, stay together, keep playing. Slayer, it's like you really did it, guys. On here and be like, fuck you guys. We're gonna be like, fucking mm. fine, dude. All right, hey Slayer, can you play that one song and can it last for an hour and a half? Yeah, cool. I will say though, after the whole Blink One Eight Two sound mishap, <laughs> my friend and I we were walking out after Rise Against because we didn't really want to see Slayer. Yeah. And we actually heard Slayer outside of the vet outside of Douglas Park where we couldn't hear Blink 182 for shit yep. inside of the park or outside of the park. Yep. And she was like, wow, I can still hear. We got back to our Airbnb up in Wicker Park and she was like, wow, I can hear, hear the Slayer reverb from here better than Blink 182. <laughs> I think Slayer is one of those bands like in a real spinal tap moment where they say, like, we have to have all of our stuff turned up this loud. Like that's just like in their contracts or in their rider or something like that. Like where yeah, they're, sure. yeah. Um, where like normally they'd be like, no, we can't do that. And they're like, yeah, fuck you. We can't. I'm Slayer. Fuck you guys. We're fucking Slayer. It's our last tour. Let us do it. It's like, okay, the kids want their amps turned up really loud. The kids and they're actually like whole ass adults. But okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't give a fuck about Slayer. I'm sorry. Like, even like listening, I, I watched a little bit of it before I went to block party and I was like, man, fuck Slayer, dude. Like, they're just not good. Like, it's just the same fucking thing repeated over and over and over again. And they just like, 
yell words at you. And it's like, I get it. That's the genre of music. That's what it's supposed to be. But why are we enjoying that now? Like they were doing it in what early eighties, mid eighties. And like, that was different. That was a, a time period where that wasn't a, a genre that you hear all the time, but now you've taken what they did and you make it better. And there's bands on this fest that were playing that kind of music better than them. So why do we need fucking Slayer? And, uh, you know, uh, fine. I'm, I'm sad that they're going to be ending their career and they're going to stop touring and they're going to stop doing stuff. And I understand. And that's OK. And, you know, great for the influence that you've brought to music. But like, yeah, you could have done better. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the big thing is, you know, it's like a re- it's like, again, like a revolutionary band. But at a certain point, you have to be like, oh, Okay, yeah. I can evaluate what exactly is happening here. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> so disappointing. Um, yeah, and then the starting line we already talked a lot about, and they were fantastic. They played very well. Uh, I missed the raconteurs because I wanted to stay by the stage for Taking Back Sunday, so I didn't really get to see them at all. I'm hoping that the raconteurs do another like tour run. And come through again before they end this like reunion. Uh, Cause I would like to go and actually see them play a full set. I'm really uh, surprised Jack White didn't walk off stage and have a hissy fit like he did last time I saw him. <laughs> I mean, he's allowed. He's music. He's like the Dave Grohl of being mm, quiet and weird. <laughs> Dave Grohl was like loud and normal to me. And humble. Yeah, and like Jack White is like I don't have a phone because I'm better than everyone. I'm gonna make a guitar out of a piece of wood and one string. I don't care, dude. I fucking love Jack White. I love Jack White so much. Like I, I used to be I, I'm just such a huge fan of like white stripes and shit and like I understand that Jack White got very, uh, what's the metaphor I want to use? He got very big for his britches. I don't know what you want to fucking say, but fine. <laughs> fucking fine. I'm, I'm down with it. I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm also very excited for Jack Gray, his project that he worked on with Jack Black. Okay. I do want to kind of see what's going on with that. Yeah. Just because. Uh, if you want a preview of it, on Jack Black's YouTube channel, Jablinski. Uh, he did a thing where he, it was actually part of it was at Lollapalooza, interestingly enough. So you see a little bit of that. And then he goes to Nashville and hangs out with Jack White. They don't show any of like the music making process, but they do show like him and uh, Kyle Gass hanging out at Third Man Records. And I'm like, that's fucking sick. So. <laughs> If you're like me and you're a huge fan of Tenacious D and Jack White. Yeah. Um, so Taking Back Sunday was probably the the my favorite thing of the entire weekend just because they played two albums that I know. And I didn't have a lot of bands <laughs> on my list that were playing the songs that I knew by them. Like Dashboard <laughs> on Friday, like played a bunch of songs that I don't know because I don't know that album. And then played like two songs afterwards that were like, I was like, yeah, I know those songs, but I've already walked away because you're done. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to his fucking beard in a minute, but, uh, taking back Sunday playing their two albums in a row and 
I think they sounded better than they've sounded in a lot. Like they play every year and every year I'm just disappointed in Adam Lazar's voice. Like it just doesn't sound good. They just, like, he just never, honestly, like he seems like he's just gotten to a point physically where he can't do what he was doing when he was like 18, 20, 25, you know, that's, that's realistic. He just can't keep doing what you were doing as a kid. Actually, the, when I saw the starting line at their first reunion, uh, Kenny Vasoli was like, Hey, can you guys help me sing this song that I wrote when I was 16? I can't sing like that anymore. Cause my fucking voice changed. And you're like, yeah, okay. That, that actually makes sense. Like you were a yeah, child when you wrote the song and your voice changes. Yeah. You can't sing the same necessarily unless you, you know, sing like you would be able to as an adult, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think this was like one of the best I've, the best sets I've heard from taking back Sunday at riot fest in like the past few years. I, and I, I try to watch a little bit of them every year, like just because I love taking back Sunday. Um, I think they sound better when they don't play their new music. <laughs> Um, it just, I don't know. It's, I think there are certain bands like taking back Sunday that are just meant to be what they were at certain times, especially with like the fact that taking back Sunday has had multiple lineup changes over the years. And the fact that like the people who left the band, John Nolan after, you know, uh, uh, tell all your friends and Fred after, uh, louder now is like, they wrote a lot of those songs with you guys. And they were very integral to what those two, those three albums sound like. And having John Nolan back obviously helps to play those albums better, but like, it's just not going to last like it's just the energy isn't there anymore on like new music. I mean, um, right. it's kind of how I feel I, with like blink too. No, I feel that. And I think it's the same thing too. with like panic at the disco. Like people were when Brendan Neary started to come out with his newer stuff, the last five years, people are like, this isn't as good as it was before. And I'm like, well, you have to see, like, it's just him basically. And, you know, Dal Winks and, you know, Ryan Ross, they did a lot of those songwriting too for, you know, at least Pretty Odd and um, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have these like crazy, wild, prosy lyrics anymore. You have something a little bit more straightforward. Yeah. And you kind of see it. I mean, the the one thing about Panic is that he's been, Brendan Year's been able to go on and reinvent himself basically and do so much more mm-hmm. with Panic than I think most people thought that he could do to be a hundred percent honest because everyone's like, it's just Brendan Neary now. Like what, what's this dude going to do? But he's done amazing. But I feel for, you know, especially Blink 182, you don't have one of your primary main lead singers anymore. Yeah. Don't have Tom DeLong. He's chasing aliens, trying to save the world. <laughs> Angels in the fucking airwaves. Divorcing him's wife, you know, because probably because he's chasing aliens everywhere. <laughs> These things happen. <laughs> it happens, but it's the same thing. I think Blink, um, their latest album, they're trying to be new and modern, but stick to the roots with everything. And it's just not working. So I was kind of having this conversation too, uh, with a few people. And I think, I think I've, I've like kind of realized that, 
in Blink working with uh, uh, John Feldman, especially, um, they're trying to bring in this 2019 sound into Blink-182 music as opposed to giving everybody what they want from what Blink-182 is. So like when Blink-182 was coming up and they were building their their repertoire of songs and they were writing new albums and they were sort of even reinventing themselves on like the Untitled album, um, you know, it was sort of like refining who Blink-182 was. Like you get as you as you grow and you are able to afford more as far as like production and instrumentation and that in the studio, you want to use more. And so like when you get to Untitled as Blink-182, you're obviously bringing in like strings and piano and and all these different like sounds into it. But it's still the same three people writing the same music they wanted to write when you start to bring in like trends and you start to bring in what's going on in the music uh, landscape of the time that you're writing for as John Feldman always fucking does. It just like, it just ruins what was the original magic of it. It just takes away from like what you wanted to hear out of them in the first place. If they were writing music as the three members as they are right now, I do think it would be different than what they're actually putting out. I think that like, they should ignore 2019 trends. They should stop trying to write like these, these three and a half minute pop songs to, to get on the radio, to get like an album out. I, it honestly feels like they're just, Oh, we just have to write albums because we write albums. Like you don't fucking have to, you could just, I mean, fucking it, go that's kind of like shit. how I felt about like Weezer this past year that they were like, here's a teal album. Here's a black album. I'm like, wow, this black rock album like sucks. Yeah. So, Weezer, I feel a little differently because Weezer is clearly like on some like jokey shit. <laughs> oh, 100 percent I mean, they released an entire album of simply just sing of just like covers. Yeah. That's it. Weezer's taking it less seriously, but Blink-182 is writing like dark rock pop songs and definitely taking themselves way more seriously now than they ever have. And Untitled, I feel like, is a fairly serious record but they're definitely like we are like edgy now we're like 50 and we are edgy as fuck they're literally trying to pull like a billy eilish but be like we're in our 50s and edgy like billy eilish we get the kids like okay mark this i really need you to calm the fuck down but like that's (laughs) the thing is like why is blink 182 trying to write songs that are the same that are going toward the same people that like Billie Eilish don't write Blink-182 songs and hope people like it. And if they don't, who cares? You're Mark Hoppus. You'll be fine. Yeah. You will be 100. <laughs> you're Matt Skiba. You guys are going to Travis Barker. You guys are fine. Yeah. Matt Skiba. If you're like not happy with the music you're putting out in Blink, just keep writing songs with Alkaline Trio because you still have yet to release a bad record with Alkaline Trio. <laughs> Literally. I mean, is this thing curse? Slaps. Oh my God. Yeah. How God, did Matt so, Skiba uh, write like one of the best albums? Week. He wrote I once a week still. I know. They wrote like one of the best albums of their career last year and then they put out this fucking bullshit with Blink 182 and it's like, but you just do that again. You just have to do that. It's just a different bassist and a different drummer. And then you're like, oh, maybe Dan Andriano had a lot to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> You just, you know, you never know. Maybe just Mark Hoppus kind of sucks. Maybe Yikes. he needed Tom DeLonge to write. I don't know. I'm not in the studio, 
I also blame John Feldman for fucking everything, but yeah. So there's our rant about Blink-182. Um, Wait, John is, Feldman's going to catch wind of this and he's going to personally challenge you to fight. Fine. No, he can come on the podcast and I'll tell him like what I don't like about his production and his editing and all that shit. I listen to most every record he's put out. The only ones that I like are the first two are the, yeah, the first two used records panic at the discos, uh, vices and virtues. I think it was not entirely him, but a lot of him, he put out some good songs with the matches. Uh, and that's it. That's, that's all of them. I've, I've listed you everything that John Feldman has done that I like. Uh, that escape the fate record that he did. I listened to a lot. And then I was like, wait, what the fuck? This sucks. <laughs> Which one? Um, this war is ours. Okay. When the, when the, the dude from Craig Mabbitt joined the band from bless the fall and they were like a bunch of fucking shitty John Feldman songs. <laughs> like, all right. No, I'm going to go on one more rant before we move off of this. Um, <laughs> so there's obviously like, you know, the this sort of like celebrity producer type environment i don't know like you know uh you know the names of certain producers like john feldman because he came from goldfinger and so he was already a musician already a frontman now he got to, gets into producing and he has like a distinct sound so people are like i want that sound i'm going to go to john feldman uh Joey Sturgis is another one who hasn't done as much lately. Like people haven't been talking about like the Joey Sturgis guitar tone, but Joey Sturgis came up doing like Devil Wears Prada. And then he did Attack Attack. He did Icy Stars. He did Asking Alexandria. And he just had this very like distinct tone in the records that he did with these like emo, hardcore, metal, whatever, shitty. We wear black V-neck t-shirts and have our hair long and crabcore. And he just had this like very distinct tone that everybody was like, we want to work with Joey Sturgis because he's going to make us sound like that. And we just want to sound like that. And while I do appreciate a lot of those bands, because a lot of those bands I very much liked because they worked with Joey Sturgis, it's also like it starts to get bland and stale because everybody's working with this one producer. And I have less issue with Joey Sturgis than I do with John Feldman, obviously. Um, But I do think that like John Feldman and most older bands in general need to realize like, Hey, what you're doing is just like to keep your own fucking shitty career going. And you could also just like stop because you're (laughs) sucking. (laughs) Like Joey oh. Sturgis like hasn't I, I I don't know if he's like still producing I don't know what he's done lately I haven't listened to anything new that he might have done but certainly like I have much less issue with him there's a I know he did at least one Icy Stars record maybe he did two but I really like the record he did with them and uh, Devil Wars Prada records that they did with him are all very good so that's my rant about uh, celebrity producers. And um, I think we want to also just get into to wrap this conversation up, this recap up a little bit of like the sort of Douglas Park thing about Riot Fest and the fact that Riot Fest takes place in Douglas Park. Uh, Lizzie, you had sent me an article about uh, from the Chicago Reader, uh, which kind of, quote unquote, direct uh, addressed the elephant in the room. Yeah. So here's the thing. Originally, Riot Fest was um, 
kind of like Northwest, basically in Humboldt Park until they spread out and it rained the entire weekend and it caused, you know, $100,000 worth of damage. And the community there was like, we don't want this here anymore. So they kicked them out. What was it? Two years ago, about two or three years ago. I'd say, I think the first time they did a show in Douglas Park was 2015. So this would be the fourth year they did it there. I think 2014 was the last year they did it in Humboldt. Yeah, that was where, yeah, I was still an undergrad during that time. I just started. Gross. In my new undergrad. So sorry. Disgusting. (laughs) It was my second junior year of college. The worst. Um, But. Basically, I moved down to Douglas Park, which is uh, basically Southside and off of the California Pink Line. And the biggest thing was they Chicago Reader basically sat down with a lot of their music writers and editors and had a conversation about the pros and cons, the problems, people who they wanted to see there, people who should have been at the fest, normal things. But the one thing that was kind of off putting was they didn't really talk to anybody at ride fest, which usually if you're going to, I feel if you're going to have this harsh of a critique without it being an op ed, you would want to have, you know, the other side of the story, like you're taught in journalism school. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that from the ride fest side, it was very much like, yes, you have, it's very community driven, which is great. Um, they did actually make a video of the people who live around there and being like, this is how not to be an asshole during riot fest to us. Yeah. And there was a handful of people who just said, just don't go to riot fest, which listen, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, like I understand you're probably like, wow, this is loud and annoying, but I personally have never experienced or seen really any, anything bad or any like police intervention or anything like that. Anytime I've been at riot fest compared to almost any other festival I've been to, to be 100% honest. Mm-hmm. everyone's pretty much like in and out in and out like i'm not gonna you know infringe upon your home i'm just coming here i might buy some elotes on the corner like <laughs> out of there try to find my uber in this hot mess this, um <laughs> near the hospital but that was also one of the other issues when they came down there is that it's right next to a hospital mm-hmm. so they've always had a lot of issues with that but the chicago reader article was basically saying because this is planted in Douglas Park, which is a primarily um, black and Hispanic population, they should have more artists that um, those those cultural um, trying to wor- word this correctly, basically people who are of that like ethnicity and culture would stereotypically listen to. Which I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but that's a little bit weird for you to say as well, but. Um, their main argument was that there should be more like hip hop acts primarily. Um, in the past, they have had a, um, a couple different hip hop acts here and there because depending on which acts you're talking about, they did come up during the punk movement and punk is an ethos and ideology, especially once it gets to like the late seventies and eighties. And I mean, Wu-Tang was there. They were probably one of the punkest, you know, hip hop acts I can think of right off the top of my head. And there's not arguably too many that most people who listen to rock and punk and alternative would really know off the top of their head either. Mm-hmm. And that's just because it's not as ingrained, which is one you know problem within itself. But the other argument was, you know, maybe you should just change the entire, you know, surrounding genre of the fest, which 
can't really do. It's called Riot Fest for a reason. It's been around for 15 years mm-hmm. and it's all been centered around punk music, rock and alternative. And I don't know if people really want to see that anymore. I was seeing a lot of reviews saying just kind of having a little bit of an attitude and even saying like Riot Fest has now grown up warp tour, but is that really a bad thing? Yeah. And I Why? mean, I guess Why would you I think that's a bad thing? <laughs> yeah, but the way you could kind of tell in like the tone of like certain articles and the mm. way that certain writers write, if you're familiar with, you know, how they do write in their other works. And it's like, there's so much like anger and hate towards Riot Fest that I feel that if there would be a sit down conversation with the Chicago reader, whomever, and been like, these are our issues with it how do you respond to us without it just being like press release jargon? Mm -hmm. Because that's pretty much, you know, how they're going to respond because it's a huge festival. And if you're being publicly called out, say on like Twitter, that's how you respond to it. Or write this Twitter guys and be like, okay, go fuck yourself. (laughs) But even um, Riot Mike, one of the founders, he had an interview with Forbes magazine, which is huge. Yeah. Super cool. Like a whole profile reader piece. It was great. And I feel that Chicago reader and any other publication, especially localized, that's going to be talking about dealing with all of these other sociopolitical issues that are going on here should be able to talk with them and be like, okay, we have these questions. We have this background on all this that you've done, but can you tell us in depth more how you address, you know, problem A, B, C, D? And what is your X, Y, Z answer? And then keep going on from there. And even Mm -hmm. if it is in the question and answer format, which I personally don't like rather than just writing up a normal article, Mm -hmm. it still would be much more in depth and, you know, less opinionated based. Cause I feel that there's a lot of people who are like, yes, this is a problem, but you'd still need a, I I still need more substance behind it. But there's also people who are like, yeah, fuck this festival. And it's kind of like a hard rock to be in between because originally it started at Congress Theater up in like, yeah. what was that, Bucktown? Uh, pretty I close to, yeah. Was. It's I like Logan, Bucktown area. Yeah, but it used to be up there. And, you know, what are you going to argue about? I mean, we also have um, Rudio Fest, which is the large Hispanic music festival that we have that's in um, Union Park. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, we obviously have Lollapalooza and we have a plethora of street music festivals too. And again, like, what are you going to do if you live on like a street festival block? Like, I feel like that's research you have to do before moving in anywhere. First of all, it kind of <laughs> <So> is, yeah. <laughs> like anything, but I think also it's like, I moved next to a park and I didn't expect for this to be here. Um, which is a valid argument. You don't, you never think that there's going to be a huge music festival taking up your space for a whole weekend. But there's, you know, if you're living in such a big city as Chicago that has so many things going on every freaking weekend, (laughs) I feel like you should be not too surprised. You could be like, oh, I didn't realize this big of a festival would be here. But you should be like, well, I should expect it to happen at some point or I should be aware that it is a good possibility. Something may pop up around here because I mean like do division fest West fest, 
you know, they take up this whole entire like residential street. Like, what are, what are you supposed to do? Like, you can't just be angry about it. If you're that angry, then move. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, first of all, I hated this article because it was just like people sitting around in a group talking shit. And like, that's not an article. That's a bunch of people talking shit. That's a podcast. That's what we we're doing. That's why I started this podcast was so I could talk shit to somebody and didn't have to just write it all down. <laughs> like, yeah, just fuck that shit. Like, no. Like, only. There's... <laughs> There's a difference of the way that you can put that shit out that doesn't make you sound or look like you're just talking shit. And they were just talking shit. You know, there there obviously has been a concern of Riot Fest having the fest in what is, you know, traditionally Humble Park was more of a low income area. It's Puerto Rican. There's a lot more people of color that live there. And moving into Douglas Park, uh, where there's a higher black population, is a concern. I understand that concern that they're taking up this public space that is used by the community when the community is lower income and, and makes use of these public spaces and using it for what is a, a, you know, a, a, what is a private entity, a company that is using it to put on something that they make profit from. If that's their biggest issue, I understand that, but also as four or five people sitting around talking shit who don't know about how to put on a festival. You don't really come at it with any like information about what they're doing. You just like, you just talk shit and you don't come up with any solutions, which I just felt was like, why are you wasting all of our time? You're not like, you're not coming up with any actual solutions that a festival creator, a festival promoter, a festival booker, anybody could do anything about. Um, one thing they also mentioned in that, which I think is really a big thing, is that Lollapalooza has a contract that they have exclusive use of Grant Park. No other festival, yeah. music festival, can use Grant Park at all. If that weren't a thing, we would probably just have Riot Fest in Grant Park. We probably would have Ruido Fest in Grant Park. We probably would have uh, fucking Spring Awakening in Grant Park okay. instead of Hoffman Estates. Well, you, you know, know maybe, maybe that could stay up there. Yeah, that's fine. I'm glad they moved it there. So yeah, uh, the way out of our way. But like, I, I I like saw that in there, and I'm like, but there's your answer. Like, you have the largest festival that happens in Chicago have an exclusive use of what is the largest park that we have. It is in a very much a public space for everybody. It's in the middle of the loop. It's in the middle of downtown Chicago, where a lot of tourism is, where a lot of people are going anyway. And it takes up space of a park. It doesn't take up like roads. It doesn't take up uh, uh, what is a public space for a low income neighborhood. It solves that. And yet you aren't kind of complaining about that. You're complaining about a, a smaller festival that while it's popular for like our community, isn't able to compete with a, with a Lollapalooza. There just, there just is no way. Uh, Lollapalooza has this contract ongoing where them and the city get to, I'm looking at an article right now, which is why I know this, but um, they have it where it, it just like, they have the ability to add one more year onto this contract every year when the festival ends. So once, you know, Lollapalooza ended this year, I'm sure they re-signed it because it's working out pretty well for everybody and no one else will be able to use Grant Park. So and the other issue is, is that 
um, they just released how much it is to repair Grand Park after Lollapalooza, just like, mm. you know, ground damage. And it was $645,000 at Lollapalooza yeah. will have to pay to the city of Chicago to repair Grand Park. Now, yeah. realistically, if any of these smaller festivals <laughs> were to ever go into Grand Park, there is no way that they would be able to afford yep. that type of repair. Like, absolutely not. I mean, no. that's how Ryfest at a Humboldt Park. They were like, we'll pay it. But like that, it wasn't it like a little bit over a hundred thousand. It was like a hundred thousand. Yeah. Something like that. They were like, but we'll pay it. Obviously they're like, but that is kind of screws us. Yeah. So it's that into perspective as well. Like Lollapalooza started as a pretty large festival and has continued to be the large festival. Raya Fest has been around for 15 years and is a smaller festival. It's not a huge money-making endeavor. It's something that the people who work there do because they love it. And it's never been like, it's not the same as Lollapalooza where it's like corporations are like putting this on. It's not like fucking Coachella. It's not like fucking Bonnaroo. It's not like fucking like all these like bigger national festivals. It's just sort of like come up a lot. It's homegrown and it's very Chicago based and it's come up so much because they started to book a lot of the Warped Tour bands and they started to uh, really dive into that community, which is like looking for the nostalgia now that Riot Fest used to do for all of the punk bands and all the metal bands and all that shit from 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 the generation before. So I, I have this issue with them complaining about it and not coming up with any solutions and not sort of saying that like maybe riot fest could do better if there weren't this large festival happening in Chicago, which is holding everybody else back. It's, it just seems to me like riot fest is what it is because it has to be as long as there is like this money going to other places, these bigger festivals, people keeping, you know, certain artists from being able to play it, uh, them not being able to raise enough money to be able to pay for these bands to play. Uh, you know, there's, there's just a lot there that like, you're not really putting into your argument. You're just like, they're moving into this low income neighborhood, taking up a public space and not playing the music that that neighborhood would want to hear. And it's like, how they're not going to make any money off of, they can't make as much money as they could. They're not going to get all these bands that they could. They're not going to get the space that they could. So they're doing the best they can with what they're provided with what they're able to get. And they're doing as much as they can to give back to the communities that they're in. So unless you can really find a way to like stop everything else that's happening around uh, festivals in Chicago, I don't think this is something we're going to solve. You're just going to end up being like, yeah, we're going to kick Riot Fest out. They're not going to have a home. They're going to stop doing it. And now we all lose out, you bastards. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, there's all, there's almost a music festival for every single genre. Mm-hmm. And Riot Fest now, like a homegrown one, too. You know, you have Lala, which is like popular music at this point. And then you have Rudio Fest, which is for um, like Hispanic music. And then you also have, you know, all the EDM ones like mm-hmm. Spring Awakening. You have, you know, obviously Riot Fest for like rock and punk music and you have Pitchfork for mm-hmm. indies. And if you were to take away any one of those, like, and then argue because whatever area it is, it is in, 
it doesn't reflect it. I mean, you could say, okay, like I don't see that many indie kids hanging around the West Loop necessarily or <laughs> down in Houston, and then you're still going to complain about it. But yeah. I mean, it, there's no winning argument to it. The only thing that really can happen is to have a conversation and just ask, how are you problem solving? Or even offer, like, like, as you said, offer up your own problems and solution, go and interview people who have done a different, you know, maybe similar festivals or had similar experiences and say like, Hey, have you done like community organization? Like, what have you done to give back to the community? How have you done donations to upkeep like Douglas Park or keep it involved throughout the year? Like those are ways of finding solutions where this, I really respect a Chicago reader and I do like a lot of their writers and their writings, but this kind of fell short for me. It's a valid argument, but without presenting so many more alternatives and also having more discussion base with Riot Fest and, you know, the way that they're making it is that they're only seeing one side of the story. Mm -hmm. Is it an important side of the story for the people who live there? Absolutely. But you still need to show what Riot Fest is, you know, what their mission is and what they're doing as well. Because then that's the only way you can form a concrete, non-biased, objective opinion for the reader and the audience as well. Otherwise, you're basically pivoting them towards your own thoughts and ideas and argumentation, which we don't want now a day <laughs> in journalism because we see how awful that is, you know, CC, Fox News, and unfortunately CNN, yeah. which I was actually... I was actually at to eat tonight and where I was, they had Fox news on one TV and then right across with CNN. And I was reading both of the different headlines and it was truly a compare and contrast because of how biased and left and right leaning both are so severely at at this point. I'm like, you guys are literally the worst of each side. 100%. <laughs> and that is so awful to say, especially about CNN, but it was so, it was so wild to see it as a parallel all in one setting, but it was so crazy to kind of like had that brain, you know, brain blast moment of like, okay, this is sincerely where we are right now. And this is real bad. So I think the one solution we have, because Jane's addiction has played Raya Fest before, is somebody needs to go talk to Perry Farrell and you need to be like, hey, you can keep that exclusive contract, but you should let Riot Fest play in Grant Park once every year too. Like you can do it. Guys, thank you for listening to our, I don't know why I have this like announcer voice every time I have to like do an outro. Um, thank you for coming to our Ted talk and listening to our summary and recap of our Riot Fest weekend. We love you and we hope you had a great time as well. If you want to give us an idea of what your favorite thing was and tell us how wrong we are and tell us that our opinions fucking suck. Uh, we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram. So fucking find us, you cowards. And <laughs> from all of us here at the Emo Social Club podcast, I am Brian. I'm Lizzie. And goodbye. <sighs> That's the Riot Fest flu talking. <laughs> oh, yikes. Yeah.